Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everyone, this is Jim. It's really good to be back here together with you again today. It has been way too long between episodes, and I know I say that every time I'm going to try my very best to shorten the length of time between podcast episodes and It's been a little bit of a struggle, so I just ask that you would pray for me that God would make a way where I would be able to do it, because one of the things that I committed to doing when I started this podcast was to make sure I actually had something of value to give to you before sitting down and making an episode. And so honestly, there were times where I was just so tired, mentally speaking, because of work or challenges having to do with Uh, business-oriented things that I didn't feel that I was at 100%. And so maybe sometimes I'll just have to do what I did back in the old days, just to be ready every week to speak regardless of what was happening and just do my best with whatever I had at the time. But there sure is a difference between talking to people and being filled with something of value, something to give to them, or just kind of, you know, putting some notes together and expounding on something for a while. It's difficult the jobs that um, pastors and local churches face who speak each and every week. And one of the things that I learned from experience is that the gifts and the callings to take God's word and share it with other people is different than the gifts, or I don't know what word we would use exactly for it, but the, the spiritual strength to walk the walk and the strength that it takes to present a message or teach or evangelize or even pray for the sick are two different things. Sometimes people think that if somebody is well-versed in God's word and knows the scripture inside out, that they have an extra advantage in daily life that people that don't have that do not. And there's a point there which I say I would say, yes, of course, if you know God's word, you're going to have an advantage. But the actual effort that it takes I'm not talking about works right now. I'm talking about the heart desire that you have to have daily to want to live a righteous life, to want to walk in love and not be judgmental, to want to walk in forgiveness, to walk that straight and narrow path. It takes a almost a daily sacrifice. That would be the easiest way to put it. Matter of fact, that's the way Paul puts it in the New Testament when he talks about dying daily. In other words, he's dying to his own desires, goals, ambitions, whatever you might have as an individual in order to put the spreading of the gospel first. And, you know, when I look around us at the world that we're dealing with today, I think that, and I say this with zero condemnation, because, you know, in Christ there is no no condemnation, but that doesn't mean that there are areas of our life that couldn't use a little bit of improvement. That doesn't mean that Maybe our heart isn't exactly in the best place today as compared with another time. I think about what people are like, newly saved, brand new Christians, people that have been born again, and I think about how that transformation affects them in the early years. I know for myself, I spent those early years back in the 1980s just spending hour upon hour upon hour studying the Bible, learning new things, having this excitement, having almost a sense of wonder as I was going out into the world, looking at it differently than I had in the past, and how that stayed with me, and how I prayed at the time, especially during my college years, that I wouldn't lose that, that God would keep me. And of course, I face challenges just like you do, Over the years, there were times where I would say that I was in a much better place than other times. But my desire right from the very beginning was to live the kind of life that would be pleasing to God. Because I know that when we talk about sacrificing maybe some of the things that you want to do and doing something that God wants you to do, I know that there is a ground in which your desires and what God wants for you become one and the same thing. Sometimes you want things, especially earlier on in your life, that you think that are important, and they're really not important, but you have to live it out until you get to the point where you understand that. 
Some things we can learn just by reading the Bible, by hearing other people preach, but other things we learn by going into the battle with the help of the Holy Spirit. And he helps us understand what God's purpose is for our lives as individuals. And that's something that is between you and the Lord. That is not something usually that somebody else can point to and say exactly what you should be doing. You have the Holy Spirit in your heart. He will lead and guide you in the way that you should go, especially if you're open to correction. And, you know, assumption is just the worst thing when it comes to life in the Spirit. Even, again, if you've studied the Bible, you're a Bible teacher, you've prayed for the sick, you've seen them heal, you've seen, you've tasted, as like the Bible says, the powers of the world to come, you've done all of those things, it becomes very easy to fall into a pattern or a rhythm that is of your own making. And while you may be doing good, you're falling short of some of the great things that God could be doing in your life because you've become maybe a little bit comfortable. Now, when I think about life, from a natural standpoint, who doesn't want to be comfortable? Who wants to deal with opposition on a daily basis as opposed to maybe living a more peaceful life where you know maybe you just have a small group of friends, small immediate family, and no one bothers you? From a human standpoint, who wouldn't want to have that? But from another position, there will come a time when we're all in the heavenly realm and there will be people who are not there with us. And the reason why we're here right now isn't to live comfortably, although God doesn't want you to suffer. God wants your needs met. We do face suffering because we are in a in a war zone. We're living in a fallen world in which there are fallen spirits, demonic spirits, evil spirits seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? That Satan and all the creatures that follow him are here to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And the good news, the gospel is just that. God has provided a way out of the darkness and into the light. And so whether you're walking in a percentage of the light, couldn't, wouldn't you say that there is room for you to walk in either even greater freedom than you've already experienced up until this point in your life? How about the people around you? Isn't it possible that God has a greater freedom, greater peace, greater understanding available to them? Even those who already believe, are they walking in the fullness? Probably not. Because if you look at how things are in the spiritual world as the Bible reveals to them, you know, the Bible is kind of like a window into that invisible world. It pulls back the curtain and it shows us to a great extent how things operate. Right, The Bible says the kingdom of heaven operates like a seed. First, we have the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. We have the planting of the seed, the protection of the seed until the harvest comes, and then replanting of the seed. And so your life, just like a tree, is always bringing forth good fruit, a new harvest. And so at certain points of your life, you should be bringing forth, forth greater and greater harvests of good fruit. And the fact that you are here alive, that you are a light to the world, salt to the earth, are there people that could benefit from being connected to you, from a word that you might give to them? Of course, the answer to all of those things are yes. And so from time to time, you have to stop and ask yourself, what am I doing? Am I really giving into the lives of the people around me? Last night, I was sitting with a group of older men, friends of mine that I just met over the last few years. And I wanted to tell them the difference between the Old and New Testament. I wanted to talk to them about forgiveness because the topic came up about how bad things are in the world today. And so when the topic came up inward, deep down on the inside, I looked to the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me and to simplify everything for them so that it would be so easy even a child could understand it and for God to give me help. Now, I'm not praying out loud. I'm thinking this in my mind. I'm thinking this in my heart. And sure enough, the Lord enabled me to not only share what was on my heart about the kingdom of God, but also to present it in such a way that their hearts were open and there was a great connection made. And so it made me think that how many times do opportunities come to share something good, to plant something good, or to water something that someone else had planted before you got there, and to help someone in such a way that that aid that you present to them 
that assistance, that help, that uplifting affects them eternally, not just here and now. Because in daily life, you get caught up with things like paying bills and the increased cost of living, and your mind can get so into this narrow-minded tunnel that you don't see that there are people with needs all around you. Yeah, you can shoot up a quick prayer here and there, but your light is not really shining in such a way that it's having maximum benefit to all the people that you are connected to or connecting with. Anyway, I just put that out there because it's not condemnation if you're doing nothing. And I perfectly understand if you just want to live in a peaceful way, you know, just you and your immediate family, but there's a whole world out there that needs what you have. And I'm not telling you that you should just get up and go out there and start knocking on doors. I'm just saying that in life where God has already planted you, where you work, where you go to school, the people that you connect with, look for opportunities, ask God to use you and doors will open so that the things that you give other people will matter, not just in the short term, but in the long term, in the eternal world as well. Talk, I want to talk a little bit about walking by faith and not by sight in 2023. I want to start with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to talk a little bit quickly, maybe. There's a lot of things I want to talk about. Part of me was thinking the other day that maybe I should make these podcast episodes shorter instead of longer. Maybe that would help me make them more consistently as opposed to not. We'll see where we go because a lot of times I just have so many scriptures to share. But on the other hand, I know that sometimes you can overteach something. And so people get a percentage, they keep a percentage of what you say, and it's not really a large percentage. So I'm just trusting that the Holy Spirit will take what I'm saying today and quicken it, make it come alive in your heart so that it really makes a difference in the days ahead. And I'm talking about the immediate days ahead, not just this general in the future. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So according to Ephesians chapter 2, it's the grace that does the saving. The grace comes through or down the road of faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. The grace is a gift, but so is the faith, because the Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, sometimes, that's Hebrews 12 too, by the way, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, sometimes it feels like you're authoring your own faith. Sometimes it feels like faith is so difficult. Sometimes believing feels so difficult. I talk a lot about faith and unbelief here in this podcast. I'll talk a little bit more about it today, but the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us a definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for in Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you take that at face value, the word substance, you think about something that has um, physicality to it. Substance, even if it's more of an ethereal kind of substance, like people talk about atoms, it's still substance. Other translations say like this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the word substance disappears there. It's replaced by the word assurance. Um, Another translation would say that faith is the title deed. So you know that if you Um, you know, you you pay off a a loan on a car, you get the title deed, it shows that you own the car. You pay off the mortgage on the house, you get the title deed, it shows that you own the house. But that's just another way of looking at it. And so rather than settle on one, (coughs) excuse me, I could say that faith is all those things and more. Because when you read the verses that precede Hebrews 11.1, It talks about faith being used in all different kinds of ways. For example, verse number two, it says, For by it, meaning by faith, the elders obtained a good report. And through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You know, Jesus is also called the word of God in the New Testament. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And nothing that was made, that was made, was made without him, the word. Jesus is the word. So through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. 
So there, again, we have an argument for the word substance there, like the physical stuff. But when we go back to Ephesians 2.8, it says we're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. In other words, the grace is what actually does the saving. Another scripture says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in a time of need. So grace helps in many different ways, many fold, right? For by grace are you saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the curse of the law. We're saved from sin. We're saved from all of these things. Okay, let's get back to Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That's verse number four. So in there, we, faith kind of fits into that assurance. So Abel was assured in his heart that he was offering a more excellent sacrifice, that he was offering the best sacrifice that he was capable of doing. It was in his heart. If you go back to verse number two, for by faith, Hebrews 11, the elders obtained a good report. That means in their heart, they were giving a good report because that's what they believed. They said what they believed, right? Look at verse three again. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which appear are not made of uh, so the things that were the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. So I'm just kind of going back over this a few times so that you can get a picture that the faith is multifaceted. However, not forgetting he, the um, uh, Hebrews 12:2, it says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So what does that tell you? That that tells you that number one, faith is a gift. And it's written by Jesus. It's written in our heart. And it's started by him, but it's also completed by him. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because so many times, Christian people, well-meaning people, experienced in spiritual things, people that have prayed for the sick, and I'll put myself in this category also, because I'm as human as anybody else's. I'm as human as you are. And what that means is, in our natural human understanding, there is a tendency to lean back into things which are based on our individual performance to justify whether or not we're going to get or not get any specific thing. So, for example, if you work, regardless of whatever it is that you do, if you work for yourself, you have your own business, you work for somebody else, or you're just doing something and getting paid for it, let's just put it that way. There is an expectancy that you will do what you said you're going to do and that you will do it with, to meet a certain standard. Let's just say with excellence, you're going to do the very best that you can do each and every time. And as long as you do that, you'll get paid, you'll get rewarded for your efforts. But if you don't do that, if you don't produce, if you start sliding, then it may not happen right away, but sooner or later, you'll be fired. Someone else will be found for the job. And that is a... Um, there's something that goes into our logic. Of course, that makes sense. Why would you want to hire somebody or continue to pay someone that wasn't doing their job? But how many times in life when things go wrong do Christian people say, I don't understand why God allowed this to happen? What they're basically saying is that I've been walking the straight and narrow path. I've been living a righteous life. I've been doing all the right things and still evil has come upon me. Well, Peter addresses it in his uh, letters. I think it's Second Peter he addresses it in. And basically what he says is that why are you so surprised that this trial, this temptation has come upon you as though something strange has happened? We live in a fallen world. But people think, well, what about the protection of God? What about the provision of God? What about all of those things? And to that I would say, well, what about the whole ministry of the Apostle Paul? Now, I know that Paul is an extreme example of persecution. He was persecuted continuously, but Jesus said right in the beginning, I will show him, who was Saul at the time, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he had once persecuted the believers, he once persecuted Christians. Uh, God saved him, transformed him, and then gave him the mission of taking the gospel and spreading it throughout the world. And he met incredible persecution. So if Paul thought, like some people today would think, he would say, I thought I was doing the right thing, but all of these bad things are happening to me. And isn't it interesting 
that um, when you look at the shipwrecks and the night and the day in the deep and the uh, the scourging and the stoning and all of those things that he faced, again, the average person doesn't go through anything like that. However, we can also use Jesus himself as an example of someone who did the will of God and look at the persecution he faced. Matter of fact, it says in the book of Hebrews, although he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And so being obedient, doing the right things, doesn't mean you're not going to suffer persecution, doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. Now, personally, I don't believe that God tests us with things that he redeemed us from. I believe God's tests, and I'm not going to get into this because I'd have to go through a whole nother group of scriptures. I want to focus on faith for now, but talk about God's test is the heart. So in other words, when the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, God examines our heart to see what our response is going to be to the trial in front of us, to the temptation in front of us. And that's what it means by God testing our heart. But I'm going to, um, or God's tests. But to go on a little bit further, now you can go back into the Old Testament before Jesus made his sacrifice, and you can come to different conclusions, but we're living in a new covenant established upon better promises. Okay, but going back to, I said I was going to go a little bit fast. Hebrews chapter 4. Let me open this up in my Esau translation. Now, a lot of times you will pray for something and sometimes it takes a while to see the results. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk according to what God said, according to what exists in eternity, not according to what is just in front of us in our temporary situation in, in this physical world in which everything is subject to change. But there's a specific chapter in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe, that can really help us once we really understand it on a heart level, not just a head level, but on a heart level. There it says, uh, therefore, Hebrews 4.1, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. So in other words, what he's going to say here is, is very important. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those that heard it. So let me just remind you one more time. There's nothing wrong with your faith. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. If there was something wrong with your faith, then Jesus would have had to make a mistake. Isn't that true? Because there's no way that he could be the author and finisher of your faith and at the same time there being something wrong with your faith. No, the problem is, is that we deal with unbelief. Okay, so let's go a little bit further. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. For we who have believed, we who have believed, let me say that again, we who have believed, not which are going to believe, not which are believing for, we who have believed do enter into that rest as he has said, so I swore in my wrath that they, those who do not believe, who have not believed, shall not enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Moving on, verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter into my rest. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, to those who to whom it was first preached, did not enter in because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, looking uh, back, would have given them rest, he would have not afterwards spoken of another day. Therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. Uh, let's scroll down here. Is it we there? Okay. Let me read a few more verses that go along with this. Okay. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Now, diligent 
when you hear the word diligent, if someone tells you to be diligent in your study, what does that mean? That means that you're going to turn off all the external things that are going to try and take your attention away from you. You're going to be focused. You're going to put energy into it. Diligence. It says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. That means it takes some effort. It almost goes along with that scripture that says, <clears throat> fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Okay, let's keep on going. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Like I just said, what does God look at when he looks at you? Where does he start? He starts with the heart. When you respond to situations, tests, trials, tribulations, and God looks at you, what is he looking at? Your thoughts, your intents of the heart. For there is no creature hidden in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing that, we have a seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. So the very fact that you're coming to God for help is your faith in action. Think about this. Do you go to the tooth fairy for help? Do you go for Santa Claus for help? No, of course not. Have you ever prayed harder, thinking that if you've prayed a little bit harder, maybe God would hear you, maybe something would happen? Have you ever dealt with things like that? Of course, we all have. That very action in and of itself is proof that you have faith. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. So it's not that it, there's no problem with your faith, I guess, is what I'm trying to say as a believer. Matter of fact, you see in the um, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the continuous command to have faith, have faith, have faith. But you don't see it like that anymore once we get to the letters. And the reason is because these letters are written to people who are believers. You already believe in God the Father. You already believe in Jesus Christ. You already believe in the Holy Spirit. You believe in all these things or else you wouldn't be praying to them. You wouldn't be trying to please them with your faith by trying to live right. You wouldn't be asking for forgiveness for someone that you truly didn't believe existed. No, it's there. You have the faith. The problem isn't with the faith. And the problem is with unbelief. Unbelief, there's two kinds of unbelief that I see. One comes, and you know, we can read, um, I think it's Mark chapter 5 or chapter 4, where it talks about the seed. It talks about how the seed is sown and some fall by the wayside and the birds of the air come and they eat it and doesn't bear any fruit and we can talk about the seed that falls on the shallow ground and it you know springs up but it doesn't have the root and we can go all over those and all of those are examples of unbelief affecting God's word in your heart but then there's the other kind of unbelief that natural unbelief like the disciples had when they couldn't cast the spirit out of the boy who was going into the epileptic fits that's the story where uh, Jesus was with um, James, John, and Peter up on the mount. The transfiguration happened, and they saw him in his glory, and they saw Moses and Elijah there talking with him. And uh, at the meantime, at the same time, they were down there trying to cast a spirit out, and it wasn't working. And when they asked Jesus why it wasn't working, he replied, because of your unbelief. And then he replied, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting, and prayer and fasting has nothing to do with casting out demons because you not eating doesn't affect a demon, right? You not eating affects you. It affects your body, your natural mind, your ability, the, where unbelief is in, in, the, in the natural. And so sometimes, and I know this from experience, the most longest I ever fasted was quite a while. 
Uh, it was about a week, and basically all I had was water during that time. And I wasn't feeling well anyway. Anyway, I was under attack, and I decided to do a fasting experience. And it was amazing that the things in the that were used to be of interest to me, especially after I got several days in, I had no interest in. It was like something in my body and my spirit had detached. And it was like I could focus on heavenly things. And it was amazing. You know, and this is the... The fast that it talks about in the book of Isaiah, it breaks the bands of wickedness. If you want to look it up, just type into a concordance online or just in a Google search, uh, the fast that breaks the bands of wickedness. The wickedness that holds you as an individual, those are the, um, the reasons to fast. One was to give to the poor, people didn't have enough food, that's a reason to fast. Another was to break the bands of wickedness, but sometimes... It's hard to walk by faith and not by sight when your mind is arguing with your spirit, your, your natural logic, your understanding is presenting a convincing argument because when you get a convincing argument, you have all the emotions and the feelings siding in with the logic behind that argument and you depart from grace, God's unearned favor, and you get into works. You feel that by praying harder, there's a better chance, but praying longer, there's a better chance of getting an answer. And all of those things from that heart type attitude is nothing more than a dead work. It's like the works that the Pharisees thought that if they kept doing these things, they kept the law of Moses, they kept the cups nice and washed on the outside, but inside they were like dead man's uh, tombs. They had all the outward things going, but deep in their heart, they were filled with doubt. They were filled with unbelief. They were filled with fear. They were filled with envy. And you and I are not immune to those things affecting our heart today because whatever we focus on, it fills us and it affects our heart. If you focus on the news all the time, the bad news, all the things that are happening, isn't it true that you get this anger in you? And it's not even now. I believe there is such a thing as a righteous anger, but a lot of times you begin to look down on other people and and even dislike and hate them after a while that represent certain things and that's just a natural way of looking at people but in re in reality people that are filled with demons people that are oppressed with darkness they don't see the light they don't have the light and you have a potential to save some of them no you're not going to save all of them but even if you can reach out and you can speak the truth to one person don't tell me that when we look at today, um, the people in the LGBTQ, whatever other letters there are, community, don't tell me there are certain people in that community who don't want to be free, who are happy living that kind of lifestyle. Matter of fact, the Bible says that there is a penalty that you suffer within yourself who practice that kind of lifestyle, who practice sin in general. People that are in sin are in bondage to sin. And so think about this. I've known people that were alcoholics and they were drawn to the alcohol. And then there was something good about the alcohol on one level, but there was also the darkness with it. And the darkness was ever present with that moment of good. Even for people that did drugs, people that were chasing the high. And the, again, in, the, in, their still, in the stillness of their heart, there was a recognition there that they were in a bondage, they were chained to something. So even if they embraced the evil as a way to not have to fight it, not have to resist it, that darkness, again, was something that would never go away unless the sun sets them free. It, free. If the sun shall set you free, the Bible says you shall be free indeed. Okay, for time's sake, I'm going to switch back to the topic of faith, walking by faith and not by sight. I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 4 again. I believe I'm at the 30, 35-minute mark, somewhere in there right about now. And this is what I want to share with you. So earlier I established, we established, that the faith that you have is literally the faith of God because Jesus is the author and finisher of it. It's the grace that does the saving. It comes through faith. Both of them are gifts of God. And yet we do deal with fears. We do deal with unbelief. And we do deal with things that block us from entering into God's rest. I told the story before. Let me tell it again because it fits in well here. About five years ago, I was sitting on the couch and Lori was walking by and she looked down 
and my hair was like kind of like parted on the top and the back and there was like this lump there and she looked at it and she asked me how long that had been there and I think it had been there a few weeks and she could see it she kind of pulled my hairs to the side to really get a look at it and its coloration and what she saw I could tell scared her because by the look on her face she didn't have to she didn't say what she was thinking but I knew what she was thinking and so the first thought that entered my mind is this is some kind of cancerous growth on my scalp. And so after that, I thought, okay, I know what the Bible says about healing. And I felt fear, like the thoughts of fear. And usually thoughts of fear kind of work in a similar pattern. What if? What if this happens? You know, you take one step. What if that happens? You take another step. And I think the reason why we become so used to fear challenging us is because in the church world, we've been taught for a long time that whether we've really been taught this or whether this is the conclusion that we've come to, I find that it's almost universal across the board that if you have faith, then you're going to see a result fairly quickly. It's not something that's going to drag on and on. Something's dragging on, there's a problem with your faith. Well, I submit to you by the scriptures, which I just read from God's word, that there's nothing wrong with your faith. The problem is unbelief. Okay, so somebody says, well, that's just semantics then. But let's look at the pattern that fear brings. Well, what if the problem doesn't get fixed in a day, a week, a month? And so as you project, the consequences of not having the answer intensify. And we could play it all the way out to the end in which you're dead. And so the ultimate fear, the Bible says, that has kept man in bondage all of his life has been the fear of death. But the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Now, if we were on our deathbed right now and unable to move or do anything like that, then you're at a point where, and you know, in all, every single one of us will die unless the Lord comes before our natural lives run their course. But you know, if you're at that point, I think that you can't. You recognize when you can't do anything, and that is a blessing in more ways than one. Because if you're in a place where you have to totally rely on God because there's nothing that you can do, then you go right to the source at that moment. Now, if it is the end of your life, I believe God will give you peace. He'll take you out of your body. I don't believe that you have to die of sickness. Because if that were the case, we would see that over and over and over again. The Bible says that with long life, I will satisfy you, show you my salvation. And I personally believe, this is just my personal belief, but it says in the Old Testament that God takes away their spirit and their body returns to the dust. I believe that if God, if you've lived your appointed days out, God would take your spirit out of your body and your body would just fall over. Because it's the, the Bible says that the body without the spirit is dead. So then, just like faith without works is dead. And so I believe that if God took you out of your body, took you into heaven right now, you've lived out your life, you're older, you're in your whatever, 70s through 100, whatever, and and you're satisfied, you've done what God has called you to do, you fulfilled your calling, now you're ready for the next step, you're graduating from this world to the next. I personally believe that if God took you out of your body, the people that found your body, that if they did an autopsy on it, they would have to either come to one of two conclusions, either you're... You, ha- you suffered cardiac arrest, which means as soon as your spirit comes out of your body, your heart would stop and it would just fall over. Or they would recognize that as a, a heart attack. I think I think if they say it's a massive heart attack, I think that the heart can still beat or something like that. Cardiac arrest is completely shut down, completely stopped. But I think that would be the medical diagnosis of cause of death. And to me, that's the best way. And that's the way I see in the Bible. So if I'm seeing it like, in a different way than God is presenting it, he'll have to show it to me because that's my understanding of it. In other words, I don't believe you have to be sick in order to die. I believe that God has to take your spirit out of your body or your body has to no longer be able to support your spirit, right, because of age and of time. And I believe that if you're walking with the Lord and you're talking with him, you can just tell God to take you home and he will do exactly that. He will take you out of your body and your body's heart will just stop beating. I've said that because this is something I've talked about a lot, and I just want to put that out there for those of you who are being tormented by the fact, well, we've got to die of something. Yeah, you got to die of something, but would you know why die of something that is not in God's perfect will for you? I mean, there's a reason why it's written in the Old Testament, he takes away their spirit and their body returns to the earth, right? There's a difference between 
stepping out and being pushed out. Okay, so getting back to that with, with the fear, the reason why I put that out is because in my situation, when Lori uh, pointed that out to me, I believe that right in a moment of time, I saw the entire prayer process and I realized that if I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe that I've received the answer, what does it say? Hebrews 11.4, those who have believed do enter into rest. I couldn't play with this. If this is life and death, <clears throat> and this will ultimately lead to death and spread, then what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to commit to believing. And so I can't play with doubt, fear, and unbelief. I can't play with the what ifs. I have to make a total commitment that when I pray, and that's what I did. Later that day, I prayed and I just told the Lord I was honest with him. And I told him what I'm saying to you right now. I didn't speak in King James lingo. I didn't quote scripture verses. I said, Lord, this is what your word says. I know you're a healer. I know that you, you want to heal me, but I can't play around with this. I have to totally commit to you right here and right now and then never look back again on this. And as I gave the problem to God, now here's, here's the key right here. And looking back on it, I recognized the time when I prayed and entered into the rest and the times that I didn't. I made the effort there and then to enter into peace with the fact that I had given God the problem. I had asked him for the healing. I also obeyed Mark eleven twenty three. I spoke to it. I told it to be removed. I prayed. Now, this isn't a formula. This is simply me doing what the Bible says. The Bible says uh, to ask the Father in Jesus' name. I told him about the situation. I told him with my what I was concerned about, with my relationship to the situation. I told him what I was going to do. And I asked him for his help to do it. That's why I was asking. I wasn't just asking him to do it. And then it wasn't mechanical. It wasn't religious. It was heartfelt. And so I asked that. And moments later, I entered into the rest of God. Asked him for the healing, spoke to the problem, entered into rest. And I forgot about it totally. And it wasn't until I believe two or three weeks later that I was asked about it. I hadn't even thought about it in two weeks. Now I can compare that to times where I would bring that problem back up again in my thought life. I would look at it. I would consider it for a moment and then I would push it away. And then I would bring it back again and look at it for a moment. And then I would push it away. And I would go back and forth until I had unrest in my heart about it. Now, I've over time, I believe that it's the Holy Spirit and his assistance that can take you from the place of unrest to rest. Yes, the Bible says in Mark eleven twenty four, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them. Believe that you have received them and you will have them. If you already believe you have the answer, then why are you still concerned about the fact that something visible is telling you otherwise. Doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight? Doesn't the Bible say that without faith it's impossible to please God? Doesn't the Bible say, and we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, all of those things that people accomplished through faith? It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed seven days. Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and all the prophets, they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness. Verse 33, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That is the kind of faith that you have within you. But there's that final step of entering into rest where you're walking by faith and not by sight and you're at rest regardless of what the circumstance looks like. Overcoming the unbelief that stands between us and the rest of God, that's what fighting the good fight of faith is. The conclusion, like I said, that I've come to is that a lot of us can fall back into works. We think that if we pray harder or longer or fast and do all those things as a work, meaning that Two plus two equals four. If I do this, then God will do that. Then we fall back into that place where we no longer believe we have the answer. We're still trying to get the answer. That's the difference between the person who's in rest where it's done. It's done. And the words they say afterward reflect the fact that 
This is no longer a problem. We don't label it as a problem. We're not struggling against the problem. We've given this problem, according to Mark eleven twenty four, according to Matthew twenty one twenty one, all things whatsoever we ask in prayer, believing we shall receive. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. Once you've given the problem truly into God's hands, you enter into rest. You don't take it back out of his hands again. And if it's a fight that you're fighting, yes, maybe you do take it back out, but then you go back the next moment that you recognize it, you put it back in God's hands and you look to the Father to give you the strength to continue to stand. This is the thing that I think that is sorely missing. It was missing in my own life at times as I look back over the past, I don't know how many years it's been, but I've been walking in faith my entire adult life. I started doing it consciously back in the mid-1980s, around 1986, and have faced victories, but also have faced some failures. And the closer that I examine the failures in the past, without fail, there wasn't a single time that I had entered into rest where failure came. Every single time that I truly gave the situation to God, the answers came, and they didn't always come immediately, which brings up the second point that I want to put out there is that People believe that if they truly had faith, that they would see the answer right away, just like Jesus did. And yet it says in the book of Hebrews that let us follow them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 6.12, New King James Version, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There is a fight of faith. If something came immediately, you wouldn't have to fight the good fight of faith. You wouldn't have to obtain the promises through faith and patience. Matter of fact, doesn't James say the exact same thing using different words? Doesn't he say that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance? But let patience or perseverance have its perfect work that you may be complete an entire lacking nothing. Matter of fact, the King James Version, I love the way it puts it. It's, it puts it like this. Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. I love that. Telling us that faith and patience working together. And again, if you've entered into rest, how much easier is it for you to persevere because you're not counting the days that have passed between the time that you prayed and the time that you've seen the answer. The fact that you may be three months down the line. Matter of fact, the first time that I ever received a supernatural healing from God, what happened was I followed, you might just as well call it a formula. It was the first time I ever did it where I recognized that I have to believe that I've got it before I get it. That's what Mark eleven twenty four said. And so I just, every day I would thank God and it wasn't a formula. I would just come to God to keep my faith alive, to keep my belief alive. And there came a point, probably about 60 days down the line. Now, keep in mind, I had read books that said healing is not for today. I read books that said healing is for today. I talked to a pastor who told me that you may hear about these things on TV or in books, but you'll never meet somebody live that this actually happened with. And I decided that at that point, if this supernatural element is no longer true in the Bible, then I've got to know about it. And if it is, I got to know about it. And I told the Lord that I want to know if you're still the same today as you were yesterday. I believe you are with my, in my heart. And therefore, this is what I'm doing. People say, you know, God gives us doc doctors. I believe that. I believe that doctors are trying to do good. But don't tell me that a doctor can do a better job than Jesus can. Don't tell me a, a doctor can do a better job of uh, giving you relief from the curse of sickness and disease than the Holy Spirit can. That's ridiculous. But thank, thankfully, if we are bound by fear, if we are bound by dread, if we are waffling back and forth, that there are people that can help us in the meantime to keep us alive long enough where we can receive the truth in our hearts and receive God's best for us. Thank God that there are second, third, and fourth best options relative to staying alive. Because if it was just God or nothing, then a lot of people would have never lived as long as they lived. And, you know, I look at all of these situations. I don't want to be prideful. Pride goes before the fall, as the Bible says. 
And I look at it like this. The times that I've succeeded, it has been by the grace of God, the favor of God. I don't look at faith as a payment system. I used to think of it as one for a while, that if I had enough faith coins into the process that the answer would come. But that just got me back into works again. I was always looking for reasons why the answer had not come yet. I used to think that maybe, well, there's demons and things like that that were keeping the answer from coming to pass. And then I was fighting them. And if the answer still hadn't come, the bottom line was all of these things all caused me to return from walking by faith and not by sight, but to walking by sight to judge whether or not my faith was working. Do you see that? That's the exact opposite thing of what you're supposed to do. But I didn't recognize it at the time. If you're going to judge whether or not your faith is working by whether the problem is still there, then you'll always be struggling against things that feel like and look like insurmountable problems for whatever reason. Eventually, you have to come to the place where you make a choice to believe. You choose to believe that God has heard you. You choose to believe that you've received the answer right now, present tense, in your heart. And from that moment forward, you move forward in life if moment by moment, if necessary, hour by hour, focusing on God's love, focusing on his grace towards you and looking to him to be your rock instead of relying on your own ability, your own knowledge, your own insights. I remember hearing a story recently about this young man. He had been diagnosed. I think he was in his early 20s at the time with MS and he was getting weaker and weaker. And uh, he was a Christian and he was studying the Bible, studying healing, and he had books and books of healing. And he said he would get up in the morning and he would read the script, healing scriptures. He would read them in the afternoon. He would read them at night. And this went on for eight years. And eventually he wound up in a nursing home. And he was in such bad shape, not just physically, but mentally. Because after you hear, well, God will heal you, and you hear about miracles that are happening to other people, when it doesn't happen to you, then like the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And he got to the point where he just wanted to give up. And so that's exactly what he did. He told God that he was tired of fighting. He was tired of trying to believe. He was frustrated beyond reason. And he just wanted to lean on the, the fact that God loved him, that heaven was waiting for him. And that's what he did day by day. He focused on the fact that God still loved him, that he was still a son of God, that his sins were forgiven, and he talked with God throughout the day, just about life in general, what was happening right there in the moment. And what he said happened was, as he was doing that, his relationship with God began to improve. Now, of course, yes, when you look at that, from hearing this story from the outside looking in, that makes sense. Do you think if you talk to God sincerely from your heart every day, you spend some time, not religiously, not quote-unquote doing your devotions because that's what somebody tells you you have to do, not you know systematically or anything like that, but talking to God the way you would talk to a father. You know, the Bible says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain uh, grace and mercy to help in a time of need. But, you know, we're having a conversation right now. Have you had open, honest conversations with God recently? Maybe you have, maybe not, but I think that's what the Bible was talking about in the book of Revelation where it talks about the different churches and the problems and the issues that they had. There was one church in particular that seemed to have it all together. They knew they had the knowledge, they had the understanding, they had the gifts. But the one thing that they didn't have, which really hurt them badly, was they forgot their first love. And so the Holy Spirit through Jesus said, remember from where you have fallen. And I think that happens sometimes in full gospel circles, people that know about the gifts of the Spirit and the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the authority in the name of Jesus and all of these teachings. We have all these teachings, but once you depart from the love of God and your sincere relationship with him, then all of these things become head knowledge and the heart gets a little bit hard, unfortunately. I think we've all been there. We can all relate to it. But this young man in his testimony said he returned to his first love and the months passed and Several months later, he was discovering that some of his strength was coming back again. And then sometime after that, all of his symptoms disappeared of MS out of his body. He was completely healed, and it was a gradual process that happened after eight years of striving to believe, striving to receive. He learned that by focusing on God as a, a father and his unique 
individual relationship with him. Just like you have, you have a unique relationship with God. There's not another one exactly like it. He knows your comings, your goings. He knows your challenges, the things that excite you, the things that you're not so crazy about. He knows you like no one else does. He knows you better than your husband, your wife, your mother, your father. He knows you better than anyone. So you have the advantage to take advantage of that kind of relationship that those who are on the outside, those who are still in the dark, can't do that. They cannot receive the peace of God because they don't know him, but you can. And so I just encourage you to get back to your beginnings if necessary, and God will create in you the strength that you can't create in yourself. And the promises and the blessings of God will begin to become more natural to you. So, you know, one of the things sometimes also people talk about the book of Daniel and and uh, the spirits in the heavenlies keeping the answer from coming to pass. And I meditated on that one day and I was thinking that maybe something wasn't happening in this situation because whatever opposition was there was strong enough to keep it from coming to pass for the time being. Well, that kind of thinking, of course, gets you away from believe you have received it into looking to a future event. And then it occurred to me that you know, Daniel did not have Jesus living in him. He did not have the Holy Spirit living in him. He was in the Old Testament, an old covenant. We have a new and a better covenant established on better promises. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. According to the book of Ephesians, of Ephesians we are seated with him already in heavenly places. So if he is in us and we're in him and we're part of his body, when we pray and ask for help, do you think it comes from long distance anymore? No, according to the book of Ephesians, the power is already in you. It doesn't have to come all the way down from the heavenlies. It is inside of you. Just something to think about, something that if you are struggling with some doubts and fears and worries, just recognize that if you have Jesus in you and Jesus has the power of God in him and the Holy Spirit is in you and you're already seated with him in heavenly places, then I wouldn't worry too much about fighting devils and demons and evil spirits in your with how you're thinking all you have to do is like i said about entering into god's rest there is a rest that once we know the truth once we're focusing on the truth it sets us free and yes we do wrestle against principalities and powers but we wrestle against them in our thought lives we wrestle against them in our mind we have to take those thoughts that exalt themselves against the truth and cast those lies down and embrace the truth. All right. Well, you know, I look at it like this. If Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in me and they're in you, it's no different than if they were physically staying with us at our physical address in our home. We just don't perceive it that way because we can't see it. We can't feel it. But in reality, the truth is it's really no different. So feed that to your fears. Feed that to your unbelief. Didn't Jesus say, I'd never leave you or forsake you? And you know, one, I'll just leave you with one last thought. You remember when Peter was walking on the water, he saw Jesus coming to him in the middle of the storm on the boat. He says, Lord, if, if it's you, bid me come on the water. And he wanted to get out on the boat and walk on the water. And Jesus obliged him. He said, come. And Peter was participating in this miraculous event of walking on the water. But then it says he saw the waves and the wind. It made him afraid and he began to sink. So you can see how the kingdom of darkness works. They feed off of your fear. They fear, feed off of negativity and doubts. But in the kingdom of God, we feed off of faith. We feed off of hope and we feed off of love. And so the things that inspire those three things in us, faith, hope, and love, that's what we need to embrace. That's what we need to spend our time looking into, not to all of these other things, which basically just feed doubt, fear, and worry. So anyway, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was a blessing to you. I hope to see you and talk to you again in the not-too-distant future. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you later. 